Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray you will now bless us as we uh, share together. And uh, Lord, give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, why berries? Why do we do berries? Well, I can tell you a good reason we do berries. Because berries are fall in the category of small fruits. And small fruits are often easier and quicker to grow than big fruits. Okay. Uh, quite a few years ago, my husband had the burden to, uh, um, to have um, this one? Oh, I had the burden to start up some kind of... To start up some kind of um, something that we could do for a family activity, because um, we saw other children where we were living that were running around. Their parents were concerned about them because what are they doing? They didn't have something. So this had always been a quest of my husband's to grow blueberry plants from cuttings. So we went visiting some people and found out how to do it. But this is uh, inspiration here. Parents can secure small homes in the country, and what can they do? They, they can cultivate the land and do what? Raise vegetables and small fruits to take the place of flesh meat, which is so corrupting to the lifeblood. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, this is, uh, oh, yeah. uh, wherever fruit can be grown in abundance, a liberal supply should be prepared for winter. And this is one place, let's see, now, she doesn't list blueberries here, but there's, but there's small fruits such as currants, gooseberries, strawberries, raspberries, and blackberries can be grown to advantage in many places where other things can't be grown. And so it's just, uh, blueberries are a Native American fruit. Uh, the rabbit eye blueberries are native of Georgia. And um, so it's something that, and they're so good for you. A few health benefits, and there's, there's many different health benefits from blueberries. But uh, chronic diseases associated with aging, folic acid protection against cervical cancer, help to prevent urinary tract infections like cranberries, you know. And... Uh, they're powerful antioxidant, and they're just downright delicious. This is very interesting. James White had such a burden. Okay. James White had such a burden about growing small fruits. With the discarding of flesh, with the discarding of flesh meats as food by health reformers has come a need of something to take its place, blueberries to take the place of flesh meats. We know of nothing so eminently adapted to supply this as fruit. So James White wrote a little booklet to promote small fruits. And he, um, um, for a wide distribution, it was published. You have the, the page there. Oh, Okay, so James White published Battle Creek Review and Herald back in 1870. 
this book, if you have the Ellen White CD-ROM 2008 edition, look under James White under the Pioneer Authors and look under James White and the last entry will be that book on small fruits where he covers the raising of strawberries where he spends most of his, you know, he concentrates in those, but also raspberries, blackberries, and grapes. And then in the back of the book, they have where you can order the plants from Battle Creek, the publishing house. <laughs> so they were actually really encouraging it and selling the uh, plants. So we, uh, um, you don't find blueberries in there because blueberries had not yet been domesticated at that time. They've been around since about 1900. They are mentioned just in one spot, and it, it's, it's in the context of canning the fruits, that they can be well canned. Okay, and of course, at the end, we'll, yeah, they're, they're called whortleberries. W-H-O-R-T-T-L-E, one T, L-E, berries, whortleberries. So you may have read about whortleberries. <laughs> That's the old name for a blueberry, and they were wild then. Okay, in our experience, of course, was the, the domesticated varieties, which had been developed by then. Okay, next. There you see us in the blueberry patches. It's a, it's a, a beautiful sight when they're in full leaf and uh, pretty and they uh, haven't started, you know, they're just in full flush with all the berries. They uh, start out looking loaded, and then if they're good, healthy plants, they get to looking less loaded because they've grown beyond the berries. But they're still in there. <laughs> okay. Um, there we are, propagating them. There's Liliana. Uh, she is uh, potting up a cutting, and small hands were really good for getting these little cuttings out of the rooting bed, and you see the rooting beds there? Those are, uh, um, there you see the rooting bed, and there you see the plants under sprinklers just beyond. Okay, all right. So um, that, was, that was kind of the avocation that we used to keep our children busy some of the time. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, there's a bunch being moved on a trailer. And now, just to, for the overview of it, what do we do for varieties? And site planning and go, going on through the list. The, um, it's good to know these things before you start. Okay. All right. Um, okay. And there we have the name Whortleberry there. Um, now, in the blueberry realm, there are three main cultivars. That is, three main, three main types of blueberries, I should say. The northern highbush and the rabbit eye. Northern highbush was the first one to be developed. The rabbit eye came later. And um, then, later on came the southern highbush, which was quite recent. Besides that, we also have the low bush, which is in the far north. 
the low bush berries have never really been domesticated, but the wild, wild cultivars have been planted, and um, so the low bush is not so important. Now the rabbit eye bushes, haven't they all come from four different plants? Yeah, yeah basically oh. the rabbit eye bush came, we, we, our experience has been, has been just about 100% with rabbit eye. Rabbit eye are um, easier to grow. We're in the middle of their zone. Um, and uh, rabbit eye was developed just like the rest of them from wild varieties. They just interbred about four main varieties of, rabbit, of wild rabbit eye. And from these four come all the different varieties within the type. So there's three types, but each type has a number of different varieties that have been developed and are being developed uh, things are still going on. So now we'll look at um, the, uh, the selection within each category, the varieties. All right, so within the variety selection within the category, um, excuse me there, the variety selection within a category, and each, um, you know, the, the differences is the berry properties, uh, how they ripen, when they ripen, <laughs> when they ripen, uh, and that ha that's important because, see, if you pick a variety that's early and a variety that's mid-season, a variety that's later, you can have blueberries for two months. And just imagine having fresh fruit available like that all summer long. You know, that's, that's a good thing. That's in the rabbit eye realm, and, uh, of course, they have it. So here are some examples of northern highbush. And it tells you the fruit size, the plant um, habit. Um, is it an upright bush or more of a spreading bush? Uh, it's, um, they have comments on it, the flavor. Um, and then you notice on the left, the season. Okay. Go ahead. There are some examples of southern highbush. And that's... Uh, the jewel, you know, and they are—they grow southern highbush in California a lot. So, this one thing about the uh, blueberries is that the um, the northern highbush and the southern highbush are more vulnerable to pests and diseases, as I understand, and so they're more likely to need to be sprayed than the rabbit eye. So we are very happy to be in the region for rabbit eye. Yeah, it's the. Uh, the southern highbush and the northern highbush have thinner skins. And the rabbit eye are well adapted because they have a thicker and they're fleshier, maybe not quite as sweet, but I think they're pretty good. <laughs> and they may not be quite as big, but now they're developing even larger varieties of rabbit eye. And so anyway, we, we uh, heartily suggest that you start out with rabbit eye and Go if, right <laughs> yeah, if you're in the right region. There's some there's some examples of rabbit eye, and the some of the old standbys I would say are Tiff Blue and Climax, and uh, besides that there's Premier, I Brightwell. Yeah, right. <laughs> We've had experience with um, some of these varieties: Premier, Climax, uh, Brightwell, Tiff Blue. Oh, yeah, and Centurion. Um, 
Now here are some pictures of the different berries. Okay, but as far as taste is concerned, I personally don't think there's anything that compares with the little bitty wild blueberries, but they're hard to find and they take a long time to pick. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the little berries, the wild ones, like we have some on the corner, you know, on the edge of our, by our driveway, you know, we have a wild blueberry plant. <laughs> rabbit eye and I don't know some of them taste better some of them taste worse <laughs> uh, now that on the left you see uh, a cluster of rabbit eye berries and you notice the uh, blossom end of the berry is flat okay now look at the high bush blueberry on the right see they have a little nose sticking out so when you buy blueberries you can right away tell what kind they are by looking at them Okay, okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, now we need the microphone. Okay. Um. <laughs> there we go. Rabbit eye blueberries, by the way, are um, also shine because they're well adapted to different, more adaptable to different soils. In fact, uh, you don't have to have it quite so acid for them. And they, uh, they do quite well. They can do quite well. Uh, now, one of the things you want to do is select a site that has some of the basic requirements. And if we look to Christ, we bear fruit, right? How about a plant? If they can see the sun, they will bear fruit too. If they have enough sun. So the more sunlight, the better. You they see, have it, they lean for it. yeah, right. The blueberry plants grow in the woods naturally, okay? You go in the woods and you will find very few berries. One here, one there, one there. But as you saw in the picture, you get big clusters of them in the sun. In fact, uh, we used to go collect cuttings at a lady's house, and she had a wild huckleberry bush that had been transplanted into the sun and it had just as many berries as the domestic ones did. Um, but of course they were, they were small. So she called it a huckleberry bush. <laughs> okay. Um, and of course you don't want the plant to lean. Then the other thing is you need to see what's growing there. If there's some perennial grass or weeds or something you're going to need uh, to do maybe a year of pre-preparation to get those weeds out of there. If they have, you know, say Bermuda grass. Bermuda grass is very hard when you're trying to establish a blueberry plant. Um, and uh, so forth. And blackberries can get into them too, but you can pull those out. Uh, now, it's best to have soil with a high organic content as far as how the plant produces. You don't have to get have that to get started, and I'll show you with you how to boost that up while the plant is there. Um, another thing is drainage. It needs to have good drainage. They like air. If water is standing, they do rather poorly. Um, they just yeah they don't do well at all. Uh, 
The uh, root zone, though, of blueberries is very shallow, like six inches. They have a very shallow root zone, and so you need to keep the water. And so the way to improve this all is to mulch. Mulching conserves water, and mulching also ultimately uh, adds organic matter, and mulching keeps the weeds away. Now, when we planted some blueberries where we lived at Wildwood, when we lived there, after we'd raised them, there were some pine bark borers that came through and destroyed the pine trees. So we cut them down and cleared things out and took a spot where they'd, you know, pretty well died off almost 100%. And we just didn't do much at all in planting blueberry plants. But the soil was pretty good, and we put, um, you know, the soil was a correct pH. It didn't have much organic matter, being pine woods, and they grew anyway. But they would have done a lot better if we'd treated them right, and we just kept the weeds away because there weren't any weeds there to start with. Um, okay. Uh, then it's always good to treat your soil with amendments first. And... Uh, Calcium is one you might want to have if you're in a place that was just pine woods. And for that, we use gypsum. You've heard of that? <coughs> now, the reason we use gypsum for calcium instead of lime is because blueberries like an acid pH. Um, then blueberries also use potash. And when you supply potash, you can use sulfate of potash or get some natural form of potash. Uh, they do need some magnesium, but it may already be in the soil. You just have to find out what it needs. And then in the spring, we, do, we give them some nitrogen, and it will help them out too after you've added your minerals. And, of course, then you have the issue of pH. How many have heard of pH in blueberries? They like an acid soil. Now, there we have a... Uh, picture of the pH absorption. And the thing that's so important to blueberries is iron. They, they really need iron. And as you can see, iron is absorbed better at low pHs. But that's not the only thing the, uh, that seems to be involved. There seems to be other issues too. I don't think it's completely understood. Um, Bob Gregory says that you can uh, He's, in his experience, he's able to have a pH that's just slightly acid. And uh, by treating the soil with, um, instead of the normal 20 or 30 parts per million of iron, boosting it up to 120 parts per million, that he was able, you know, he's able to grow blueberries in a, in a more, less acid environment. Not alkaline, but, you know, slightly acid. Uh, go ahead now. And... Here is the, uh, what they say for iron absorption with normal iron levels. And that certainly is easier. If you have a low pH to start with, it's very helpful. Uh, a pH of 4 to, 4 to 5.5 for rabbit eye, and then uh, less than 5 for high bush. Um, again, I can tell you, though, um, uh, if it's too low, they won't get enough calcium. Um, now, there are different varieties that vary in their pH requirements. 
There is a picture of what you get if you don't have enough iron. It's called iron chlorosis, where the veins show up light. Or it's just called chlorosis. That is iron chlorosis, but chlorosis can happen from other purposes, other reasons too, where the chlorophyll isn't there. Um, okay. Um, now, if you do get iron chlorosis, there's always a stopgap that works quite well, and that is chelated iron. Uh, chelated iron is in a form that can be very readily absorbed. It doesn't require the uh, acid at all, and you can spray it directly on the leaves. Um, and so uh, you can, you know, that's true. There are other things that can cause chlorosis too. I had some that had light leaves where we planted there at Wildwood after a while, and they were losing their leaves prematurely. And their problem was when I checked the pH, it was right around four. I was afraid to put lime on them, so I just put gypsum on them, and they, you know, in a year or so, they looked better. So uh, there's other things that can do it too. It's sometimes can be a little difficult to figure out all these little details. Okay. Um, so when you choose a site, it's a good idea to ha know what the pH was. And if you could tell, know the history, that is really good. If it has been limed for a decade and you're in the southeast, you're probably okay. Although I know places where I've been where the pH, even after that long, wasn't, wasn't good. It's just the, uh, the pH is important. Um, and uh, one thing you can do is look at the weeds. Some weeds like an acid soil, that is, some weeds like a low calcium soil. They are able to put their roots down to where the calcium has leached to in the soil. And so they're um, able to grow where the rest of them don't. In our parts of Tennessee, the thing you see with an acid soil is sage grass, which is kind of a useless grass. The cattle don't like it. Um, then, of course, if it's recently cleared woodland, as we had there at Wildwood, then it's probably uh, probably acid. And uh, the um, thing about it is, is that it's much easier to raise a pH than to lower it. But there are methods you can use to lower it with blueberries. And like I say, give them iron to make up for it. There are things you can do. Basically, they need to get a soil. Uh, you really need to get a soil sample, get your pH tested, because the other is just guesswork and, you know. And in our quest for a country place and so forth, we got married at Wildwood, lived in a certain one place for uh, a few years and planted a few blueberry plants, and then we s found a spot in the woods and ended up getting a house built and moved up there and... Uh, when we uh, did that, we tested the pH, 5.1. I said, good, we can grow blueberries. <laughs> and uh, somebody says, you've got acid soil. He was pointing to a violet wood soil. And I said, what do you see growing next to it? A blueberry plant. <laughs> so you see, it's good to know, to know your acid-loving plants. So if you see sorrel, uh, that's probably it. Um, 
Okay. Now, here we have some methods to uh, lower the pH. If you add sulfur, it should be at least six months before planting in the fall. And they say one pound of sulfur, well, it's about a two square foot area that you're going to treat. And so you can treat with sulfur then. And then there are acidifying fertilizers. If you're not going strictly organic, uh, azalea fertilizer is good. And the reason is because it has ammonium sulfate. And ammonium sulfate means that the plant takes up the ammonium or the nitrogen and what's left behind? Sulfuric acid. And you can also get aluminum sulfate because aluminum tends to favor an acid soil. Um, but acidifying mulches are really a really good way. Now there are acidifying mulches and alkalinizing mulches. Which ones do you want to use? Acidifying. Well, what makes a mulch acidifying and what makes it alkaline? Well, mulches and substances that are easily decomposed are attacked by the fast decomposers, like in a compost pile. And that is bacteria. Bacteria produce alkaline amines. But then there are things like leaves and wood chips and pine straw. The bacteria can't really, really digest the lignin, lignins in those. So the uh, bacteria don't really thrive on them. They are instead decomposed more slowly by fungi. And fungi produce instead organic acids. And the organic acids make this acid. And so, of course, in the woods, you find acid soil a lot of times if they're, if they're you know, if you've got a regular forest. Um, and uh, so then, of course, that mulch becomes acid. And as that mulch decomposes, the shallow roots of the blueberry will migrate up into the mulch. And they'll be growing in an acid media. And if you try to take that mulch off, you'll find roots in it. And you want to keep mulching. Yeah. So you keep mulching and you keep mulching and you keep mulching and the blueberries eventually get mounded. Um, now, once you get a mature plant, then the uh, leaves of the plant, if it's a big plant, the leaves of the plant help provide a mulch too. And that helps to suppress the weeds. Um, okay, so when you go to plant them, you space them five to six feet apart in rows 12 feet apart, and you can kind of see why there, can't you? <laughs> uh, and uh, we actually opted to increase our row spacing the last batch we planted. Our experience with the blueberries was first we planted blueberries where in the place they put us at Wilder when we got married. Then later on, as our family grew, they let us move up into the woods to our dream place. And we uh, planted fruit trees and blueberry bushes and stuff all around and uh, got a house the way we wanted it. And it was, uh, it was, um, it was a, a good place for blueberries and we ended up with a huge blueberry patch there by the time we left. Um, but anyway, I spaced them 11 feet apart and rows three feet apart because I was wanting to have a concentrated patch that would have cuttings right away so we could propagate without having to go somewhere for cuttings. 
And so it certainly did accomplish that, but the patch would have been better off later on if in the row every other plant had been cut out. Did that happen? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, okay. And of course, I always hate to prune for height. I think more berries, more everything, but <laughs> they do bend over and obstruct the path. Okay, then you want to prepare each site. And that means you work up about a one foot deep and a two inch, di two foot diameter circle. And uh, then you work in a half a bushel of pine uh, peat moss, maybe a bucket or a bucket of pine bark fines. You know, there's three kinds of pine, pine bark nuggets, pine bark mulch, and pine bark soil conditioner. You want the soil conditioner like nature's helper. And uh, then uh, you, uh, you form a mounded area. Now, the thing about it is, is if you're planting a large planting, you can just take a rototiller or a tractor and do a two-foot swath and just add your uh, soil, um, your peat moss, and so forth every, you know, wherever you're going to put a bush, every five or six feet. Uh, and uh, one difference I failed to mention about the difference between rabbit eye and high bush is high bush blueberries get to be about six feet tall. Uh, rabbit eye blueberries, some varieties can get up to 14 feet. So that's why you prune them for height. You would not normally need to prune high bush for height. Um, but anyway, then you plant the root, the uh, plants. Now, how you plant them depends on how they come. Oh yeah, how you plant them depends on how you, how you buy them. If you mail order them, they're going to likely come bare root and be smaller plants. Then you simply make a shallow dig a little shallow hole, put a mound in the middle, and just plant the plant. And when you plant them, you always want to plant them the same height that they were at the nursery. And then you can add mulch on top of that. And when the plant is small, you want to um, use some sort of fine mulch. You know, unchopped leaves would kind of just cover up the whole plant. So something like uh, rotted sawdust or sawdust or uh, chopped leaves something or part, partly rotted down leaves are going to be helpful. Uh, um, if you are putting in a larger, if, if you're putting in a larger patch, um, the thing that we have found the easiest to do is to take the tractor with a middle buster or plow and turn the soil over and then you've got a nice neat row there already. You could just tuck your plant in very quickly and it's it's a great deal easier than digging those holes by hand. Yeah, another thing is um, uh, if you're going to, if you have a established grasses, you might want to turn it the season before and let the grass rot down and then till it up finer and that would make a nice area. Because see, blueberries, when they're small, they do not compete well with weeds. So you really need to have it properly prepared. Now, how much water? Well, I can tell you, rabbit eye blueberries need lots of water, and high bush need even more. <laughs> they need a lot of water. Um, and uh, you're not going to get enough rain to make them grow right. Uh, rabbit eye blueberries, as I have there, require at least an inch a week. And uh, you don't get an inch every week. 
so when you're, if you plant blueberry plants, you better have a way of watering them or you're headed for disaster. Uh, and irrigation is, is essential to successful establishment thus. You know, you just, you've got to do something. And um, then of course, uh, later on when the plant gets established, well, what people say is a dry summer and my berries are drying up. The fruit can dry up, you see. So if you want good, blue, good juicy fruit, give them water. They really, they really do better. And drip irrigation is the best. Um, Often when, the berries, when, the, when they're in the bearing season, we may, if we have a dry spell, we just may just turn the, the drip irrigation and leave it going. 24-7. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we do sometimes. And if you have a less expensive source of water, it's very helpful. Um, and then later in the summer, after the fruit, you're looking at next year's crop that you're improving. You know, it'll enhance growth. So, you know, watering is good. Now, the reason drip irrigation is so good is because it gives kind of a continuous water source. Okay, and there is the drip irrigation and if you want to uh, uh, learn about drip irrigation I brought some parts but I don't need to show them to you you can just go visit Alan Seiler's <laughs> uh, table and uh, he uh, he has all the stuff there what yeah oh the I don't know if I had the parts here or not I don't think I do um, but just visit him and he'll show you how to do it but you basically just need a few parts. You just need to buy a roll of tubing, a punch that makes the little holes, a, uh, and then they snap right in, the emitters snap right into the holes. You need a filter so your emitters don't get uh, stopped up, and you need a pressure regulator to uh, keep the pressure from being too high because it's a low-pressure tubing. Now, sometimes in commercial plantings, what they'll use is drip tape, and he has that too, and just put that down the road. But the drip tape usually lasts about one season. And, you know, they do that for establishment rather than going the expense of the emitters and uh, all that. Okay, and then, of course, the mulch helps with water. Um, if you pretend like these are the rows, if, like, if you want to pretend these are rows of blueberries here, what we do, we have a, a main line going here along this edge, and then we have um, uh, we we tap off of the off of the larger pipe and go down each row above ground. This is buried here on the end, and going down the row is um, it's it's just we put like rebar or something like that to hold it up until the plants are big enough to, to support it, it. Yeah. and uh, that is just a very easy way to do it and it works beautifully yeah, yeah it does <laughs> um try to make it you always, you always want to bury the main line because you don't want to have to step over it every time you go into the path and, and mowing and everything so you try to you know you try to make things convenient and uh lean okay now pruning Less than three years old, and this is for rabbit eye, but I believe it, it applies to the others too. What you do is, does somebody have that, where's that blueberry pot? Right here. 
Okay, now on this blueberry plant that you just bought, okay, um, you will find in maybe about a month, you will find that some of the buds are small and then toward the end of the branch, you'll find some big swollen buds. That is the fruiting wood. So what you do when for the first two springs after you plant them is you go and cut just below the fruiting wood on these upright branches. I don't usually worry about fiddling with all those low ones. They don't make that many berries. And that prevents the plant from bearing very much fruit. Now this, of course, is something that a lot of people find kind of hard to take. <laughs> but you'll get more berries in the long run because they grow much faster. Let me tell you, we had some bushes about this tall in the spring of 2007. And in that spring of 2007, we had a very warm March. And then, um, guess what happened in April? We got down to 20 degrees, three nights straight. And I don't know if any of you remember it, but all over the southeastern states, the trees were just dead leaves, dead this, dead that on them, everywhere. It looked kind of terrible. It was just, it was a, uh, it was a record frost, you know, you don't, something very unusual. Um, no apples that year even, or very few. Uh, apples came from Michigan, you see. Uh, so it was, um, that was, that was what happened. So we didn't even go in the blueberry patch that summer. The next summer when we went in there, the plants instead of being like this were out of reach. What had happened? No fruit. What did they do? They grew. Okay. So, uh, that was the year last year we lived there at Wildwood and we got a thousand pounds. We set a goal of a thousand pounds and we reached it. Oh yeah. Well, we wanted to, <laughs> we took a, we, we, we kind of paused for breath in the middle of the season. <laughs> okay. Um, but then after they're more than five years old, then you, what will happen is some of the wood, instead of being nice and healthy like that, gets to be twiggy. And this is an example of twiggy growth. This, this, this piece up here goes up like this and goes out like that. Okay, two, you can see two branches, two stages, right? Look at this. Out like this, up like this, and over like that. Three. When you start seeing branches like that, what you want to do is to prune them. And just go to the next slide now, though. Okay, and there you can see somebody with uh, pruners. Okay, pruning off the, a branch like that. Okay, and notice where he's pruning there. If you notice, yeah. Um, anyway, if you notice there, uh, the, uh, there's a, uh, where he has those pruners, you see the twiggy branch his hand is on? But if you look just beyond it, there's a strong upright branch. You go down to the nearest strong upright branch and prune off the twiggy branch without pruning off the nice young vigorous shoots because those are going to be starting over again 
and you will end up with bigger berries. And the best time to prune it, of course, is in the uh, spring or winter or in the fall. Yeah, yeah, after they stop bearing. You can see best when all the leaves are off, though. Um, okay, now on the next one there, no, then the next one shows it afterwards, and you see the shoot, but the uh, twiggy branch is gone. And that keeps them young. And a good rule of thumb is 20% of the wood every year after that on an annual basis. Okay. Now, what about blueberry pests? Well, fortunately, the rabbit eye are resistant to most pests. Uh, blueberry maggots really don't attack them because they have the uh, um, thicker skin. But the high bush do, and such things need to be dealt with. And then there are certain fungal diseases that can harm them. Um, but then recently, I don't know what year it was, but it was not very many years ago. After 2009. Yeah, it was after 2009. Uh, in California, the spotted ring drosophila made its debut. Originally from China, I think, but it came from Japan and came under California and in less than a year it was throughout anyway it was a problem and the spotted wing drosophila is a fruit fly one of those little gnats and it has a sharp ovipositor on the female that can actually penetrate not just blueberries but blackberries plums cherries um, all the soft fruits, all the soft fruits. strawberries uh, you know, so now the blackberries often have, the wild blackberries often have worms in them. <laughs> so it's not so nice. And the big problem with the spotted ring drosophila is that it has a generation time of how many days? 15 days. 15 so days. I think it's like 15 days, isn't it? Yeah. They, uh, you know, they, they are three days to the first instar. That means the first molting of the worm you know, very rapidly becomes a fly and it's very rapidly able to do it again. So they just multiply and get out of hand all summer long once they start. Now, one thing about the highbush blueberries in the southeast that is helpful here is the fact that they bear their berries in May and, you know, early June. They're, they're earlier. And so they get ahead of the SWD, although... The SWD is, you know, it, it comes along pretty early. It depends on the weather. Um, and, uh, but, of course, they also get the rabbit eye ones. And so, what do we do for a solution? Well, it turns out that um, hummingbirds have a diet that constitutes about 25% insects. And although there's nothing been proven scientifically about this, anecdotally, hanging blueberry feeders, I mean, hummingbird feeders in your blueberry patch um, will, can prevent these spotted wing drosophila. Now, you're, what you have to do is you don't go out there when there's fruit and hang them. You hang them uh, when the humming, hummingbirds start nesting. And if you can encourage them to nest in the area, then uh, the uh, fact is that they will um, 
be prevalent there. We had a problem this summer because the mimosa trees bloomed like crazy on the other end of the road and <laughs> uh, so the hummingbirds were all attracted over there and forsook our blueberries during part of the season but while they were there we were okay. What we need to do is get what we need is the mimosas uh, planted up by our blueberry plants and this is ideal is if you have some bush or tree that attracts the hummingbirds that's close to your plants they go to the the sweet nectar for their nectar the flowers for their nectar and then they go to the to the blueberries to get their protein yeah yeah okay yes right i think it's in april april yeah and there you can see us hanging uh, hummingbird feeders and blueberry pets. The hummingbirds will have, I think, about three broods a summer. They multiply, uh, not quite as fast as the as the um, Fly. as the flies, but they really multiply. It's exciting to see. All of a sudden, you have a whole bunch of hummingbirds fighting for food at the feeder. <laughs> yeah. So you end up with them. Okay. Uh, now, one problem with. A lot of blueberries, especially the rabbit eye, is the frost impact. And so what you want to do is when you select a site, it's good to select a site with good air drainage. And you can see there that you have um, a place where the cold night air is going to settle down and fill that low area. So planting them on a hillside or some frost-free location is very helpful. This is not a good spot. No, that would not be a that would not be a good spot, right there. You see in that slide, okay. Um, so, what we can do to help control this is we can select uh, according to bloom time, select one, varieties that bloom later, like the climax. The big weakness of the climax is it blooms quite early, okay. And uh, the then you want to also consider an overhead watering frost protection system because when you sprinkle a plant during freezing weather the water goes on there and it freezes on there and as long as it's freezing it can't get any lower than 32 degrees because of the heat of fusion of water which is quite a bit and so the water is always warming it up um, and uh, there are some of the susceptibilities, uh, swelled buds, 21 degrees, bud scales drop, 25, distinct flowers, you know, 28, and when they are fully open, 32. Yeah. And there you see fully opened flowers. Okay. And then here's a picture of our uh, frost protection system. Okay, you see those wobblers up there? And Alan has those there too. Some of those wobblers are what we call medium angle. Seneger for frost protection recommends the high angle. But they're called the XL sprinklers. And what we have done is we've run a larger two inch pipe, flexible pipe along the bottom and then just plugged in half inch pipe that goes up above each plant and you simply sprinkle them and then of course you only want to uh, try to protect down to maybe 20 degrees if it's going to get colder than that you're, you lost 
But there you see the, uh, how the ice forms on them. And uh, looks pretty. Uh, we experienced this last spring. It's uh, always a kind of a stressful time because you're hoping everything will work. We use a de uh, gasoline pump out of the creek and just pray that it won't stop because it's disastrous if it does unless God works a miracle like he did for the Dysingers. And, um, um, but, uh, and we did experience some broken branches and the like, but uh, we... Um, it's, it's successful, but it's, it's something you want to study very carefully before you attempt to do it. Because if you don't do it right, it's better not to do it at all because it can cause a lot of damage. Yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> inadequate overhead watering during frost is worse than nothing at all. And the reason for that is because when the wind is blowing, you get wind chill from that water evaporation. And if the water is evaporating, instead of freezing, evaporation has a heat of fusion of 540 calories per gram. Uh, heat of fusion is like 79 calories per gram. So you see you're on the losing streak. You have to, you know, and if the wind is blowing hard, you shouldn't attempt it, you know, if the wind is blowing. Okay, well, there's the harvest. Now, who remembers the vision about picking whortleberries? Okay, uh, when you harvest, pick a bush and pick all the ripe berries. But there is a difference between uh, ripe ones and not. First of all, the size of the pruning, the uh, size of the harvest depends on the, um, on the, uh, on the, uh, how big the bush is. But I've heard of five gallons off one bush, a big bush, okay, of uh, rabbit eye. And of course, there we are with blueberries. <laughs> Um, now, when you pick, you pick the ones that are not just blue, but bigger, you see, because berries will turn blue when they're a little bit smaller, and then they'll keep increasing in size. And so you want to wait till they're sized up. And they're more shiny before they're ripe, but they tend to get a dull look to them when they're sweet. Yeah, that kind of is somewhat variety dependent. It's... Uh... It always helps me if I can pick when it's at, at mealtime when I can taste some of the berries, which is uh, there's nothing like eating them right off the plant. But then I get just get a handle on which ones I really want to consume. Yeah, and it's good to have blueberry plants right outside your yard because then after you've had breakfast, you can go out and have dessert. <laughs> it's very wonderful. Okay, and there you can see a few cute pictures. That was when we were at Wildwood, and the children were smaller. Uh, and our friends of Santos. Is oh, that's the friends of Santos is there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Both. Yeah. So, <laughs> we we did that. Okay. Well, uh, how about questions? Yes. What time of day do you pick your blueberries, and how deep can you stack them without them I, for myself, it's very difficult for me to pick them at certain times of day when the sun is at a bad angle. Um, if, uh, if you're fighting with a spotted wing Drusophila, the earlier you get them, the better. But hopefully you won't have that issue. But, um, yes, Terrace. Okay. Um, there, um, um, 
You, we, we usually pick them in like a gallon, roughly gallon size container. I like to um, uh, get a, a strap, hang a bucket around my neck, or dye singers have some really nice picking buckets, which are much nicer. And uh, yeah, Terrence, you had a comment? Hold on. <laughs> um, last summer when we had that really bad infestation of SWDs, I said if the hummingbirds can can rescue us now, it will like be really remarkable because they they really destroyed a lot of them. And then when the mimosa trees stopped blooming, the problem just kind of went away. Which and the and those SWDs lay like 200 eggs each one and they lay two or three eggs in one berry, so they just spoil a lot of them. Now they can devastate an entire crop very rapidly. Yeah. Yes? Lilia? Oh. Japanese beetles. I don't know any solution for the Japanese beetles. Um, anything unique? Other than netting or or um, or some kind of traps or something, there is a um, a very expensive um, milky spore. Milky spore. You milky can put. spore. You can put on the thing. They they live on the grass. Uh, and by the way, the last last the last question was how deep you could stack the berries in your bucket. Oh, I is, mentioned about a gallon okay. size container. Yeah, about a you know about eight inches. Um, Okay, there's a mention at the back of sucking them up with a vacuum cleaner. Um, I can tell you that we have met people that had problems with Japanese beetles on, strawberry, on blueberries. We, personally, the Japanese beetles are a problem, but not on the blueberries and other things. So you might consider planting trap crops to attract them away from the blueberries. Another thing I've noticed is that where the blueberry plants weren't all that healthy, it seemed like the Japanese beetles pre preyed on them more. But, you know, if they're good, healthy plants. A good time of day to get your Japanese beetles is in the evening, when the, basically when the sun has gone down. You can go out where you, to your trees and knock the tree, and just hundreds of them will fall to the ground and... Um, Very good. He said he cuts oranges in half, and that attracts the Japanese beetle and sucks them up with a Eureka vacuum cleaner. And like you said, yeah, she's collecting them in a bucket of water. Soapy water is very important. If they drop into just plain water, they can get away, but that soap just immobilizes them. I mean, from flying. Yes. Oh, much longer than that. That's eight years. Eight, eight years to full production. Thirty year, thirty plus years for a blueberry plant. Um, something that we didn't mention that is often asked is the suckers that come up. Do you eliminate those suckers? No, at least we don't. Uh, the suckers are the ones that are going to be producing your, your new young um, growth and your healthy fruit. And um, a healthy blueberry plant should put up three to five new suckers a year. 
And so that's something you want to encourage and not try to eliminate those. We have had from some friends, they grew their blueberry plants like trees. You have to get on a ladder to pick them, and it's a pain. Yeah, um, another thing I failed to mention is the fact that pruning for height makes sense when you consider that the sweetest berries are on the top of the plant. Uh, possibly Epsom salts. I know for strawberries, if you put Epsom salts or magnesium on them, that m makes them sweeter. You did. Mm. Is it the kind of blueberries you have growing? I don't know. <laughs> it might have to do with how much water they got or whatever. Okay. The question was that uh, her, their blueberries were very sour this year. I'm sorry, we don't have an answer for that if the Epsom salts don't help. <laughs> Yes. How do you do your You'd better see us at the table okay. at our booth. <laughs> uh, she okay. was asking how we take our cuttings uh, to propagate, and that's another subject. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. You can just come and see us, and we'll, we'll tell you how we do it. Okay. Sonia had a question. Did you? Oh, she's busy. Yes. How do we pick the fruit? Yes, by hand. We hand pick it. It's, um, it's uh, uh, one of my favorite activities. She can do a gallon an hour of good berries. <laughs> mm, well... Uh, hopefully half a gallon an hour. Okay, half a gallon an hour. Depends on the, depends a lot on the on how the sun is sunlight is hitting them. Yeah, I'm not so fast. Yes. We initially, when we first. How many do we have, and how many do we start out with? Thank you. Yeah, uh, when we first got married, our uh, first we had a couple, two or three on the edge of the woods. They leaned for the light. Then we put in a patch when we were at Wildwood. It was 75 to 100 plants. Some of them never really developed well, but uh, that was where we got our 1,000 pounds, probably off about 75 plants. Now we have a larger patch, and it is currently, what is it, about uh, 200 or 150 mature plants, close to 150. But I think 250 altogether. We put in two more rows, mm -hmm. and we're planning to put in another row but we love blueberries yeah um, I should mention when you plant blueberries plant enough to for yourself and for the birds unless you plan plan to net them <laughs> and I think you know it just depends on how many yeah okay yeah, the question was how much water they need um, how, how do you determine how much an inch of water per week is. That's guesswork, <laughs> I'm afraid. But you can just oh. check with your hand and see if they're wet. Yeah, it would. I think probably Alan could help them. Yeah, Alan, Alan may have better suggestions there on actual drip irrigation. Uh, one thing about watering with drip irrigation is beware of water with a lot of carbonate in it. You know, real calcified water. That's, uh, you may have to treat it with sulfuric acid or something. Yes. Yeah, we. He's he's talking about the gallons per hour for the emitters. We like to use half gallon, because that means less water demand it's, it's to the time. system. Okay, we're out okay. of time. Okay, uh, thank you everybody, and we, we we're happy to see you at our booth. And remember.
to uh, um, remember the books that Adagra has to sell. They're very valuable. Fungal? We haven't really had a problem with fungal, in fact. Fungus. That mummy berry I showed you oh, was oh, that I problem. See. Yeah, if it's a real rainy summer. But one thing you want to do is if you have fungal problems, take the fungusid berries, the berries that have rotted and dropped, and be sure to sweep them out and get the, keep, the, uh, keep the patch cleared out of fungal berries. Okay, God bless. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.